0: but next
1: week I am starting 2 Peter. 2 Peter next week. And it's it's a tremendous, tremendous epistle as I've been studying it. But well, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 21. I started last week looking at four unique marks of an ambassador for Christ. I was saying in light of the new year, I wanted to challenge you to... Uh, those who trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, however long you've been a Christian, uh, to consider why did the Lord allow you to be born now, and why are you here? Well, the answer to the question is in 2 Corinthians 5.20, where it says you are left here to be an ambassador. It says, therefore, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. And so an ambassador I mentioned last week is, is really someone who represents and is commissioned to serve a foreign country and then to ac- accurately communicate the positions and the policies of that country to the country that they're in. And so while we are in these earthly bodies, as it begins in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 discussing that, talking about the eternal and the physical or the earthly, that we are to live as ambassadors for Christ. And an ambassador does not come with their own agenda. They do not come on their own authority. Ambassadors come with the agenda of another and with the authority of another and with the message of another. In other words, we Christians are the true aliens in this world, and we have been called by Christ to bring the word of God, the gospel, to a world steeped in spiritual darkness, and in particular to our own culture or place in which God has allowed us to live. The one and only institution that God has mandated to give this message is the true church. Because in the church, we find followers of Christ who have been entrusted with the message of salvation. We know it is by Christ alone through, by grace alone through Christ alone that anyone could ever be saved. So last week, we looked at the first unique mark of an ambassador of Christ, and today we'll look at all the rest of them. Which, is, which there are four, and I'll look at three today. But just by way of review, the first unique mark of an ambassador found in verse 11, and all the way to verse number uh, 14, we see is that an ambassador is somebody who has a consistent integrity. Uh, they are going to take the gospel to the world. There has to be something of their character. A second thing in verse tw- uh verse 12 and 13, is they have a genuine humility. And then lastly, uh, an ambassador is someone who has a deep thankfulness for Christ's love. And remember, Christ's love, as I mentioned already, is a love that transports us, that moves a believer to a new place. And what is that new place? In verse number 15, it says, and he died for all so that they... "...who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away, behold, all things become new." And that means that a believer uh, who is now experiencing the love of Christ, not only in the initial conversion of the gospel, but now in the transformation of their life being sanctified by Christ, they realize, number one, they don't live for themselves anymore, that God has left them here. He has left us here for the purpose of living for the purpose of God and not for ourselves. And in doing that, we actually die to self. We learn what that means. Secondly, that we no longer look at people in a fleshly way as we once did. And I did mention also that indicates or also helps us to know that we die to all kinds of prejudices that we've had. The race card is kind of obliterated when we've come to Christ. It, it wipes out all obstacles so that we will go to share the gospel with all kinds of people in and all, in all classes of people, no matter who they are. And then it brings us also that we no longer look at Christ in a fleshly way, that we, in other words, are, die to a false view of Christ and his work, we now understand what that is, what he came to do, what he wants us to do. Uh, and now Christ is the object of our love and service, and that moves us to a new sphere. And in verse number 17, it says, "In The love of Christ really moves the believer to a place where everything is new. It says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature The old things pass away, and behold, new things come. So yes, the believer in Christ Jesus is an ambassador for Christ. And that is to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. And the best disposition for this message to flow to a lost, dying world is the disposition of a good integrity a genuine humility, and a deep thankfulness for Christ's love. So that leads me to a second mark of an ambassador for Christ, and that's found in verse 17 and 18. And let me read those verses. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is an important shift because now this unique mark of an ambassador is their work, the work that God has given them to do. But we have to understand where does the source of this work, who is the source of this work? Well, the source of this new creation, first of all, is God. If you notice, it says, therefore, if anyone who is in Christ that's an incredible phrase that you should never forget you have been placed in Christ by what he has done and your belief in what he has done so this is an important shift of stance and a change in sphere because the Apostle is viewing all people as either in Adam or in Christ in other words all who are in Christ are new, a new creation, and all who are in Adam are still linked to the old things. The old things being the old Adamic nature, with all its corruption, all its old habits, all its sinful being with its enslaving sins. That those who are now associated with Christ, who are in Christ, find themselves in a new position. They find themselves in a new sphere that they have a death to self, a death to prejudices so they can take the gospel to all people. They have the correct view of the doctrine and the work of Christ and they also now are dying to their old nature. So this phrase new creature points us right back to genesis in which we are pointed at what god did when he created the world god is not simply patching up the old but he is creating a new old things are discarded the old things pass away it means to cast them aside as no longer being part of us the old things do not become new At conversion they are actually discarded and other things take their place as newly created. So the term behold in this passage of Scripture, behold new things have come, actually indicates it's kind of surprising that this happens to new believers with their newfound faith in Christ. And it also clearly gives us an indication that when you come to Christ, you are not the same. You don't go on in the old life that you used to have. You have a brand spanking new life, that God is transforming you from the inside out, and he's transforming all of you, every bit of you. It's like saying, hey, take a look at, ha- at what happened All is now new, new things, new life, new work, new destination, a new standing is brought about by God's doing, by God himself on behalf of his believers. So once we sense the newness we have in Christ Jesus, we also learn the new work he's given us to do. And of course, the source of the new creation is God, but the source of the new work is God also. Notice in verse number 18, it says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That all these new things are from God, it is because of what God had done. So immediately, salvation is taken out of the realm of humanity and Distinctly in the realm of man. We had nothing to do with it. God has done everything in order for us to be saved. Those who are controlled by his love and now live for Christ, not for themselves, these new things do not have their source in the flesh, but in God. They are the byproducts, in other words, of being reconciled to God. Could you imagine somebody coming to Christ and they I said, oh, I believe, but nothing changes? They just go on in their old life, do the things they used to do? No conviction of sin, no desire to want to follow Christ, no desire to want to know what the Bible actually teaches, no desire to want to put off their old sin. That means there was no conversion, if that takes place. Many people say they believe in Jesus, they profess Jesus, but there's no change. There's no desire. Nothing. nothing nothing's new. It's, it's just the old stuff. They just added Jesus on to their, own, their philosophy of life. That sounds like a good thing to add on. I think I'll add him on. And that's what they do, and, and everyone knows someone like that. Just make sure you're not like that. And that's what the Scripture is bringing to our minds, that, listen, when you come to Christ... You are new, and you are given a new work. God's given you something to do, not just to sit in the pew and twiddle your thumbs. You have something to do. And, of course, it is a byproduct of being reconciled to God. God worked. We work. Right? Work is a very beneficial and fulfilling thing that he's given to us. So God's love provided the means and the basis for man's reconciliation to God against whom we have sinned. It is sin that separates people from God. And God provides Christ's death to remove the sin and the guilt that goes along with it. That was the very thing that separated us. So it is all God's plan because of his love. But God's own sense of justice had to be satisfied. And so God gave his son, To be the substitution for sinners. So God provides Christ's death to transform sinners from enemies to friends. So the term reconcile is actually an old word that means that was used often to exchange coins. So it has a change in mind in view. And the term reconciled has within it the thought of change, and it means here the change in a relationship. To put someone into a friendship with God. Of course, that means if somebody has to be put into a relationship of friendship with God, that means before that they... We're not in a friendly relationship with God. You see, people are not at peace with God, but are in actuality enemies of God. And, of course, God's attitude towards the sinner is one of judgment, one of condemnation, one of wrath. You remember the passage from the Gospel of John. It says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, we see here that, that, listen, they are in a state of judgment because they are enemies with the judge. The one who could justify them and set them free, they are actually against. That's how all of us were. All of us were like that. Now, just turn back and look at uh, Romans real quick. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10 to 11, because he brings this out very clearly for us about this whole deal that we were in a sphere that was against God. Some some people would would say to you, Are, were you an enemy of God? And, and they would, would say, no, I wasn't an enemy of God. I was kind of like, I thought I was pretty friendly with God. And, but When you come to Scripture, you find out, no, you weren't friendly with God. You were a sinner, and therefore you were a rebel against God, his enemy, and under his judgment. See, when you realize that, then you realize the greatness of God's love. right? But notice this passage in Romans 5, verse 10 and 11. It says this, for if while we were enemies, and that's speaking about everybody, We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So this is what takes place, that everything is through Christ. We are made at peace with God through Christ. So the sinner cannot reconcile himself or herself to God. That is God's place. It is when the sinner repents and turns to Jesus Christ in faith. Only then can God the Father change his attitude toward the sinner from one of wrath to one of peace. That means that all alienation between the repentant sinner and God has ended. But his change is solely based on the death of his son and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, that God can ever set aside his wrath toward a repentant sinner. So that's what's new. That relationship is new that I didn't have before. This whole thing that everything that men and women could think of for redeeming themselves and their world had already been tried and failed before God sent his son. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that all kinds of religions you can find on the earth. There's an abundance of philosophers and philosophies on the earth. There are different ideas of justice on the earth and governments and kingships on the earth. They had ample opportunity to experiment with ways to redeem man, but every single one of them failed miserably. You ever wonder what philosophers said? Philosophy has always been interesting to me. But really, according to R.C. Sproul, There could be one word that sums up all philosophers, the word ponder. They like to ponder things, you know, like to wrestle mentally and think through things. And that's what they do. You go think about Plato, and uh, he hated the material world. He imagined that these perfect forms in the sky, wonderful and part of the world, that they were truly perfect, but matter corrupted it. So he didn't find any answers. And then Aristotle ripped off Plato's story, then shoved all his ethical forms into a, the logical, deductive, practical thinking, a thinking system, which we many of us have been influenced by. And of course, uh, it was called Aristotelian logic. We, we, we read through all that, and he says a lot of good things, but he concludes really nothing. Heidegger, uh, was a German philosopher. He became a Nazi, and we know where that ended up. Descartes, a French philosopher, he was a mathematician, and he thought he was considered uh, himself where he came he was thought of a little engine that that could, and he tried to will himself into existence by th- saying, "I think I can." I think I can. See all their pondering and thinking led to no substantial conclusions that can aid us, and it could not get the wisdom of God. They couldn't get at it. In fact, when you come to Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, listen to what it says. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And what was that message? We preach Christ crucified. See, these all could be ignored. The philosophers, I mean. We can learn more from an anthill than these. They never really could give us answers. Philosophy means ultimately a trusting of human reason and human understanding to get to a conclusion. The only real philosophy is theology. It stands with it's really it starts with God and the and object objective truths. There is an infinite creator who spoke and his word became flesh. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So philosophers looked everywhere, yet could not find God. And I don't know if you've ever read any philosophy, but man, it'll twist your mind in knots. You won't know what's up or down down, up or down once you get through with some of their thinking. Some of it was practical, but some of it was like, where was this guy Where did this guy come from? Where did this person come from? So where can we find God? There's only one solution. I must wait upon God, and he must tell me about himself and act. And God, of course, acted, and God revealed unto us his gracious purpose. Purpose. So God revealing and manifesting self, himself to us through creation and through a more special way, the word of God. This is how we know God. We can't know God any other way. No matter what a person may think, they cannot know God any other way. Every other way miserably fails to find anything that's worthwhile or that you can Hang your eternal soul on to know that when you die, you know where you're going and why you're going where you're going and how you were able to get there. Only the Bible tells us that redemption and salvation are entirely of God, all of grace. All planned before the foundation of the world. God sent his son at the exact and proper time into human history to save sinners. So the point made here is that God needs no reconciliation. He is engaged in the great business of reconciling us to himself. This has been done on God's terms, and it is only made possible through Christ. So, not only is the source of this new creation God, but the work of this new creation that God gives us is from him. And then, of course, the bestower of this new, new work is God also. Now, if you turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, notice in verse number 18 what it is saying there. It's saying here, in the middle of the verse, I mean, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, God has given us a task of reconciling people to him. The term for ministry has given us the ministry actually is a very familiar word to us in the church. It's the word for deacon. It means here ministry or service or help or mission that we have been given a mission that is leading others to be put into friendship with God. The task of winning the unreconciled to God is committed to us. It is a high and a holy one, but supremely difficult because the offending party, the guilty, it is the hardest to win over. You are hard to win over. I was hard to win over because I was locked in my own dead self. I wasn't responding to God. I was spiritually dead. So were you. And so God has to do a divine work on us to be able to open up our eyes to show us that the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through Christ and the only way to see the kingdom of God is through Christ. Christ becomes the center of everything that we believe and the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. If the task of making sinful enemies, friends of God, were solely up to us, then I can guarantee you no one would be reconciled, no one would every, no one actually would have every charge against them removed, and no one would be removed from the slavery of sin and that means that if somebody is not truly reconciled to God, not truly saved, not truly born again, all right? They're still left in the state of being in Adam. So there's there's not going to be any change there. They're just going to be doing the old stuff. But see, a real believer, there's new stuff happen. It's it's got to mean something in scripture and it does mean something. But the, all the work has been done by God himself and our Lord, in whom we are now, in a relationship of love with because of what he has done, and he gives us a mission as ambassadors to carry out his unfinished business in this world. the Lord didn't do everything when he came into the world; he went back to heaven, right, and he gave the rest of the work for the church to do, but the church cannot lay aside the mandate God's given us and do its own thing or be driven by the culture of the world or by all the winds of teaching that's going on all over the place. And that's what many churches have done. No, we have to stick to what it says in the word of God because there's unfinished business and there's work to be done and God's called us to do it. That this business is basically in the form of a message. A message which he gives to us. It's not our own message. We don't make it up. He's given it to us, and as he's given it to us, we now take it to the world. So a third unique mark of an ambassador for Christ is their message. Back in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19 and 20, we see that here it's the the ministers of a message with with really far-reaching effects, that God is doing this wondrous work, bringing reconciling and pardoning from sin to the world of people from every tribe and nation. And those, so there's five essentials that are key in these passages of scriptures before us uh, that are essential for, for us to understand the message. And if you notice in verse number 19, the first essential is the person of the message. Who is the person of the message? Look what it says. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself so god was reconciling through christ and doing it in christ that the whole reconciling process takes place in him and only in him so that means ambassadors cannot fudge fiddle around fiddle around with or sidestep jesus christ as being the center the central figure in the message so this Great plan of redemption always centers in on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like what Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, summing up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth. So the plan, the purpose, and the way of redemption are always in Christ. So we can't mess that up. And that's part of the message. The second essential of the message is the target. Of the message. And then notice what it says in verse number 19 reconciling the world to himself. So the world here means the world of men, the world of people, Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, rich and poor, pagan and barbarian, people, as I already mentioned, with red skin and yellow skin and black skin and brown skin and white skin, people who are lost in darkness, in bondage to sin, alienated from the life of God and under his wrath. People who are in desperate need of a word from God. They don't know that. They don't desire that because they're dead. But we know that. So ambassadors bring the message of a foreign land to a land to be able to tell them what the truth is and what, The kingdom of heaven actually communicates on how to get there. So the world specifically embraces only those who repent and take advantage of the offer. Only these are reconciled. Not everyone is reconciled. Not everyone is saved. There's a third essential to the message, and that's found in verse number 19, and that's the reason for the message. And notice what it says not counting their trespasses against them. That's the reason, transgression, or another word is sin. It clearly indicates sin is the problem. Sins were the cause of the alienation of people from God, and pursuing one's bent to sin usually starts out as a search for freedom and happiness, but ends up in slavery and fear and remaining under the wrath of God sin always presents to us something pleasurable something the flesh wants something desire the desires crave that's what sin is but ultimately we find in scripture sin is a breaking of God's law and a showing that we are rebels in our heart toward God and because and brethren because Of people's transgressions and sins, they are in trouble with God. We know that. Transgressions mean the result of falling to the side or away from the right road, and uh, a good English way of saying it is going where one is forbidden to go. Remaining an enemy of God and not a friend of God. And you can enjoy your sin and not have a relationship with God. So it was transgression that caused God to drive our first parents out of the Garden of Eden and away from his presence, and it has been a barrier between him and man ever since. And transgression is really disobedience to God's word, to God's way. You have heard the quaint saying, God loves the sinner but hates the sin, have you not? This is totally wrong. God does not view a sinner apart from his sins. God's wrath is upon the sins and the person responsible for them. God sends sinners to hell, not just their sin. In fact, the word of God tells us that God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. So when people repent and turn from their sin, And anything they're trusting to save themselves and turn to God, to Jesus Christ, and believe in him and trust in his work on the cross on their behalf, that he died in their place, that he was their substitute, that he paid the full price for their sin, that he, and if you believe in him, honestly, God will take the wrath of God against you and move it out of the way and reconcile you to God, and now you're a friend of God. That's the state that ambassadors want people to be in. I want people to be true friends of God. There's a fourth essential in our passage, verse 19 and 20, and that's the message, the messengers of the message. And if you notice what it says there in the beginning of verse number 19, the end of it, it says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20 we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal, an appeal through us. All right, so us used uh, here in this passage of Scripture is talking about all who have been redeemed, all have been, who have been brought into friendship with God, and of course, they become ambassadors. And an ambassador, again, is a representative for someone else. It is actually the an old Greek word that means old man. Now, what that means is that usually ambassadors were sent by emperors and kings to represent their kingdoms had to be older and had to be mature and had to know what the policies of the kingdom were and the procedures of that kingdom were so they can represent it properly to another country. So that, that means in some respects an ambassador a Christian ambassador needs some maturity and experience and it should be an admonition to us to to grow in knowledge and wisdom from the word of god so we can represent Christ well so we can know what we believe so we can stand on what people what we believe and not be moved to and fro by every wind of teaching. See, so the Apostle Paul said that because we are the priesthood of believers, we too have been given the ministry of uh, reconciliation. We are the mouthpieces. God didn't send angels, he sent us. And we make our appealed to sinful humanities as if God himself was making an appeal through us. What appeal? Well, it's right here. The appeal is found in verse 20. And, of course, this brings me to the last essential of the message and that the earnest of the message. It says we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Sometimes the message is there, but... There is no urgency to tell it. And I think this, my friend, is a grave mistake. The message must be accompanied with a strong sense of importance and urgency. It has to be in our soul, or we won't say anything for Christ. We'll just keep it to ourselves as if we have a, a private. Uh, relationship with God, and therefore we do have to do nothing else and tell nobody else. Well, according to the scripture, we not only need to tell people, but we need to tell them with urgency. In fact, the passage, verse 20, the verbs are packed with a real sense of pressure for us to beg, to urge, to implore, to plead, to entreat somebody, to beg people. Yes, to beg people for a specific response, and to ask for a specific response. And what is that specific response? Please be reconciled to God. And this is how you do it. This is the message of the gospel that God's given me as an ambassador. I wish I can save you, but I can't. But I can tell you what the Lord gave to me to give to you. Now, many of you probably don't know this. When I first came to the church, I had a radio ministry for seven years, and actually it was very good ministry. It had a lot of contacts. It had a Bible study that we gave out, and we did from the they would mail it in, mail it back and forth, and we graded them. And people would graduate this. We give them a little diploma, uh, and so it has some interesting stories that are connected to that. But then the radio stations started taking all the preachers off. We don't want you. We don't want you. I got replaced by Gril- Billy Graham. I, w- I didn't feel that bad. <laughs> but then Billy Graham got thrown off, and everybody else got thrown off, and they just replaced it with music. And now it's pretty much a rock, Christian rock station. And uh, if you find a message somewhere, it's not on the main, it's on some AM station where you got to keep dialing in for the static and all that kind of stuff. But, see, during that radio broadcast, I had contact with a, a man named Brother Baines. He lived in Boundbrook. And Brother Baines would call me every once in a while, and he would listen to my, my message on Sunday. It was on Sunday afternoon. And he would say, "I really, Brother, I really love that message. Man, the gospel was so clear. And, and, and so he'd call me, and, and I find out that Brother Baines is a street preacher. And he was already probably at 75, 80 when he's calling me. And he used to have this sign on him. And the sign just simply said this, turn or burn. Now, you may think that is fanatical, or whatever you think, it does show urgency. It does show that to get reconciled to God, that you have to repent and turn from something so you don't go somewhere, and that's hell. To thinking you're going to heaven and end up in hell is a very bad philosophy of life. But Brother Baines had urgency, and he'd be out there on the street with that sign along with preaching. He would not only just have turn or burn, but he would be preaching to people. And so he'd keep calling me up, And telling me these things and I got the sense that man this guy really is urgent about the message he's he is not fooling around and he's like you know I mean at that age you should be like in a rocking chair you know surfing the TV or something but he's not he's out there preaching the gospel because he felt the urgency that in the short time that he may have left and he died not too long after that I heard about it from somebody else but that young, that, that man, not young man, but that man really was an encouragement to me. He would call me up at least once a month and kind of encourage me, tell me what was going on in his life so and stuff like I never got a chance to meet him. I always wanted to do it. Seems to be that we were missing each other often. So his message was get reconciled to God and do it now. Because, friends, with God today through Jesus Christ you can take advantage of the peace terms of the gospel. And so we beg you to come to Christ. In fact, if you look further in the passage, look at chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1 and 2, what it says, and working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he is saying at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, if you don't know that, that is a quote from Isaiah chapter 49 about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And so, in other words, as ambassadors, we can go anywhere and tell people, "Now's the day of salvation. Today, the Spirit of God and the message of God may be speaking to you, but now may be the last time He speaks to you. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Nobody is." And I read, I, I ran across this other story that just gave the sense of urgency too. It was a man called Alvin Strait. He didn't drive a car. But when he found out that his brother was dying, actually had a stroke and was not in good shape, he actually he was 73 years old. They actually made a movie out of this. It's called The Strait Story got on his riding lawnmower and traveled 240 miles from Iowa to Wisconsin to visit his brother, who had recently, of course, suffered from, from a stroke. The look on his brother's face when he realized what Alvin had done was so deeply moving that it gave him an encouragement. But if that is not a picture of urgency, I don't know what is. I don't recommend that, <laughs> but I tell you what, it, it sure personifies urgency. See, if we can be like that with the gospel, we will see God do work in our life that will be very encouraging to us and encouraging to others. So an ambassador, there are some things we cannot do, we cannot retreat or surrender in cowardice. We cannot tamper with the message. We cannot manipulate people to get desired results. We know this is a work of God. We have to let God use us. So we need to tell it, tell the message 100% unfooled around with. We cannot tamper with the gospel to make it less offensive. Changing the message is useless since no one can believe unless God really grants them understanding, gives them faith and repentance, and makes them alive to believe. And as John MacArthur says, if if they don't hear the truth, cool music won't help. If they don't see the light, PowerPoint won't help. If they don't like the message, drama and video won't help. And it seems like that's where a lot of people have gone to communicate the message. See, the problem is right in their own heart. They need the seed of the word of God. Nothing's wrong with the message. Their heart is what's wrong. They're dead, and they're blind. They are in Adam and must be rescued by the second Adam. You know the second Adam is Christ, right? He does what the first Adam cannot do. He obeys the Father and he accomplishes and finishes the mission so we can be saved and be brought back to God. Now that leads me to a fourth unique mark of an ambassador, and the last one, and that quickly I want you to notice in 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is the objective hope that all ambassadors have. And it says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, For what reason? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's the goal. There's the end of it all. That is what God has done for us. It does not say God made Jesus a sinner. No, what he did was laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. That is, by charging all that is sin in us against him. And the Father let Jesus bear all this burden with all its guilt and penalty, in our place, in order to deliver us, in order to reconcile us to God and make us friends of God. That's what he did. That's when we meet at the Lord's table. Why is it called the table? We call it a table because when you sit around the table to eat a meal, you usually sit around the table to eat a meal with family and friends not with enemies. And so the Lord calls us to the Lord table as friends, and we partake in the essential elements of the message of the gospel, and that is is the the enfleshment of Jesus and the sacrifice of his body in the place of sinners, and then the, the blood washing away the sins so we can have our slate wiped clean, and be right with God. That's the only way anybody can be a friend of God. There's no other way. So sinners become righteous before God so that we may become the righteousness of God in him, it says in our text. And this righteousness is not our own. It is a righteousness reckoned to us by God the moment we exercise faith. The death of the sinless one enabled God to declare us just, making it possible for God to set aside his wrath and welcome into a state of peace all who turn in repentance towards him. I like how Philippians 3.9 says it. It says, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So, brethren, as we're left here on this earth, let us be what we are. We are ambassadors. We are the voices of God. We have the message We have everything we need to go and tell people. Our disposition should be that of good integrity, humility, and a deep thankfulness for the love of Christ. Our work comes from God and is for God. Our message is about Christ, and it's to the world, and it should be given from us with urgency. And, of course, our objective hope is this. We are reconciled to God. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. What we need to be concerned about is now telling the message to those people who have not heard it yet. That's our job. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word of God. Lord, make us people. Lord, allow us to live out what we already are. Not only are we believers in Christ, our new creation, but we are ambassadors. And Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to be silent. But every chance we get, every day we would pray and ask you, Lord, to give us opportunities to speak on your behalf. To anyone we meet, that we would be ready with urgency to be able to share the gospel And Lord, even with people that we have more contact with on a regular basis, that our message would be urgent with them as we give them steps of the gospel. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take us and use us to be that vessel of honor that you can flow through and speak to others, that they can be friends of God through Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.